0: Are you looking for a new job? Are you hiring but struggling to diversify that candidate pool? Then come check out our job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. This week, AARP is looking for an associate art director in Washington, DC. The Union of Concerned Scientists is looking for a multimedia producer in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And Gettysburg College in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania is looking for a director of communications and content strategy to join their agile communications and marketing team and take the college's digital and print communications to the next level. Companies, stop making excuses on your d efforts and post your job listing with us. For just $99, your listing will be on our job board for 30 days, and we'll spread the word for you through our podcast. Get started with us and expand your job search today Hello, everybody. Welcome to Revision Path. I'm Maurice Cherry. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. Before we get started, let's talk about our sponsors for this episode, Facebook Design and Abstract. Facebook Design is a proud sponsor of Revision Path. To learn more about how the Facebook Design community is designing for human needs at unprecedented scale, please visit facebook.design. This episode is also brought to you by Abstract, design workflow management for modern design teams. Spend less time searching for design files and tracking down feedback, and spend more time focusing on innovation and collaboration. Like a glitch, but for designers, Abstract is your team's version control source of truth for design work. With Abstract, you can version sketch design files, present work, request reviews, collect feedback, and give developers direct access to all specs, all from one place. Sign your team up for a free 14-day trial today by heading over to www.abstract.com. Now for this week's interview. We're ending out the month with Alex Pierce, an Associate Creative Director on the digital team at Publicis Hawkeye in Dallas, Texas. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do.
1: Hey, uh, I'm Alex Pierce. I am an Associate Creative Director at Publicis Hawkeye
0: well first off congratulations on your recent awards i was looking at uh at Twitter i saw you got uh side of the day from how do you say is it a awards because it's like a w w w a r d s do you just say awards
1: i just say a awards i don't know i mean maybe there's some fancy way to say it like you know how people in france say publicists versus people in america say publicists <laughs> yeah something like that uh okay. so i say a awards
0: all right. So you got Side of the Day from A. Ward. You got also Side of the Day from CSS Design Awards for your recent homepage redesign. So congratulations on that.
1: Thank you very much.
0: It's been almost seven years since you've been on Revision Path. And I mean, for people that are listening who are longtime fans, listeners of the show, Alex was the last text interview I did before I did my first recorded interview, which was episode one of Revision Path. And it sounds like a lot has transpired for you since then. Now you're, well, you're still at Publicist, but you're now an interactive associate creative director. What are some of the responsibilities that you have in your current role?
1: Yeah. So I'm an associate creative director on the digital team. So, you know, some of my responsibilities, um, I'd say, and I remember one of my colleagues and friends, Dan, he's a creative director. He told me this, he's a different point in his life now with his career. And he was giving me advice. Uh, as an ACD, you're in kind of like a weird limbo, right? So you're 60%, I would say 50, 60% still kind of hands-on, but then 40% of my time is managing other creatives and their work and their goals and stuff like that. And so my current lead or, or kind of role at on my team is I am a design lead. And while I work at the agency. Our team is kind of device or not device, but I say device agnostic on a lot of client presentations. So I just automatically say that. No, I, our team is pretty client agnostic, you know, in terms of we work across all of the agency's brands and portfolios, but we do have our own digital clients as well. So I currently manage the creative for uh, Disney that we have, the, the piece of Disney work that we have at the agency, as well as uh, US figure skating, actually. Nice. I don't skate. I don't okay. skate, but you know, I learned a lot about skating apparently. <laughs> yeah.
0: And now when, I think when we first talked, you were just a art director, I think. Yes, yes sir. Publicis. So what's yeah. been sort of the big change between art director and associate creative director? I'm not super familiar with kind of the, the latter hierarchy as it relates to agencies, but it sounds like you, of course, in seven years you've leveled up, but what are the differences between those two?
1: Well, yeah, you know, it's funny, even though I started at Publicis and I'm currently at Publicis, there was a whole period. So, like, I went to Publicis as a mid level art director and I was at Publicis. I left Publicis to go to Hawkeye, I would say in 2012. And I stayed there for a while. And then, not too long after that, We got acquired by publicist group (laughs) and then they merged the publicist Dallas office with the Hawkeye office, which is now publicist Hawkeye. So I saw all of my old friends and coworkers again. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was a little bit of a boomerang kind of situation. Like they're like, oh man, we couldn't lose you. So we just acquired the whole agency. (laughs) They like to make that joke. It's obviously not true, (laughs) but yeah. No, you know, I think the difference was really just in terms of responsibility, From art director, it's basically just a mid-level position. You know, senior art director, I think I had leads explain this to me. I mean, I would say senior art director is more responsibility in terms of being able to be client-facing, be able to manage presentations without a creative director in the room if needed, that kind of stuff, be able to be lead, design leads on projects. And then really the big shift from senior art director to associate creative director is really... I'm still figuring out myself. I've been in the role for a year and some change now, but, you know, I'd say it's really just basically what I'm doing, except now I am in a role of more mentorship and more creative direction, managing the vision and, and process for projects and accounts, doing scoping, doing hours estimates, that kind of stuff. Some of the more administrative tasks that, you know, I didn't have to worry about as a senior art director. I have to definitely consider more of and then working with the account leads and strategy and being very client facing, you know, that kind of thing.
0: Now, are you also coming up with strategy or is that left to like a more senior
1: creative director? That's really more, I would say, for like kind of that big picture stuff, that's really more related to, I'd say, the the group creative director. But even more so, we really rely upon our strategy team to kind of help uh, guide that. And we actually take that strategy help enhance it, give our feedback, and then we help interpret it into the creative work. But yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah, I figured there are certain discrete levels at agencies where you have that kind of division. Like, I'm working ostensibly for a startup. And even I think if you're someone who is at the, let's say, like VP level, you find yourself doing not only strategy, but also management and execution, which is probably more like the... Individual contributor level. So that, yeah. you know, there's kind of like the shifting of roles, no matter what your your particular title is. So that's interesting to, to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you approach new projects at work?
1: Well, you know, I think uh, how I approach is really, and this is what I like about working on our digital team, it's definitely a collaborative process. So It isn't like everything's put on the creative team, you know, everyone has their role to play. So I definitely rely upon account service and project management and strategy to kind of help come to the table with a uh, fully fleshed out approved brief from the client. (laughs) You know, sometimes depending on the situation, that's not always the case, just depending on the type of client and the type of timeline and process, but usually we work out with the brief. So we usually start there, give our feedback there, ask any questions And then really think about timeline roles and responsibilities is what they're saying are the deliverables in alignment with the strategy and what the client is asking for ultimately from like a a goals and KPI kind of standpoint, you know, that kind of thing.
0: Mm -hmm. And now to have worked at the same company and moved up the ranks as you have, I mean, that feels like a real rarity in today's Mm -hmm. current like creative industry. I mean, even now from what you said earlier, you were at publicist you left and went to another company, that company got acquired and now you're right back. <laughs> like,
1: like at the same company.
0: I'm, I'm curious yeah. to know, like, what has being at Publicist taught you and what makes you continue to stay there?
1: You know, I think, you know, it's kind of a cliche, but it comes down to the people. An agency isn't really anything without its people, right? Like... We're the ones producing the work and the and, and the product. And I, I mean that in a more general sense, because I don't mean just in terms of creative, but I also mean in terms of strategy, account service, managing client relationships, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I think as you go across agency and I had this piece of advice from my creative director from and it's funny because he actually this guy uh, gary hawthorne he's actually a group creative director at publicist hawkeye right now but he was actually my first boss ever in the industry he hired me straight out of school as a junior art director at schaefer advertising in fort worth and he he told me this a long time ago like don't ever just leave an, one agency for another just because they maybe offer you like moderately a little bit more money because you know I, I think it's it's really just all kind of the same thing and he didn't mean that in a cynical way but you know it's just kind of like be sure you're leaving for the right reasons be sure that you're leaving to do something different or to really pursue a specific goal because you know you kind of get that money trap with those golden handcuffs and then you're just kind of beholden to to that and you might be getting more money but you're not not you be doing what you want to do you know and. Also, I love the people at my agency. I love my team. They're super talented. You know, I love working with everybody. We're just kind of like a family. It's like a home away from home for me. So that really means a lot to me. I think some people, like everyone has their kind of like off days. And even on my off days, I still, I think about like, well, if I'm having a bad day, I'd rather have a bad day with people I like than a bad day with people I don't like. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's kind of why I stayed at Publicis. And then in terms of like Publicis as a agency and kind of things I've learned is, frankly, like just interpretations of interactive and digital, you know, and in the context of what I do, it's interesting Publicis, I think as a a larger agency, their interpretations of digital and interactive versus like where I came from. Like, and, and it's funny, I actually, when I left Publicis, to go to work at hawkeye and i interviewed with the managing director of digital at the time he still is today wes he interviewed me and he was i was showing him my stuff and i was showing my web work and i started showing him some banner ads and he was like oh no 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 no. we don't do that here we don't do banner ads like you know i can you move that on i'm like oh oh sorry okay hmm. i think there's just like this interesting dichotomy like and what i've learned is just really thinking bigger picture right so You know, I really love just UI, UX design, just visual design, interactive design for obvious reasons based off of my portfolio, so I just redesigned. And, you know, working with publicists, you know, it definitely opens me up to learning more about brand centric kind of work and and more strategic, like larger big picture things. So like thinking about the website as a tactic and a larger strategy about talking about this customer journey. Right. So like how are we communicating to these people through a variety of different channels and, and really kind of opening my mind up to all those different avenues, whether it be display advertising, email marketing, web, that kind of stuff.
0: How is that different from, say, user-centric
1: design? Yeah, user-centric design. I'd say this is the kind of funny thing, you know, because I actually gave like a talk about this, I think, a year ago at at the American Advertising Federation Conference for kind of the Midwest or Texas area, Texas and Oklahoma. I forgot it's like District 11 or something like that. You know, I think user centric versus brand centric, you know, sometimes there is like a clash. And I think the mistake that people make is that these goals are mutually exclusive. And I think if you're always designing for the user, you're ultimately designing for those business goals as well. You know, when you think brand centric in a more traditional sense, it's it's really more traditional media, that kind of stuff. And and you, you kind of think about that one way communication and it's really all about trying to deliver on the the clients or the the brands goals and uh, approaching that advertising creative or that that digital creative in that context and I think um, the mistake that we make is just because I guess the mistake that we make is like when we we look at it from that lens I think it's easy to kind of make mistakes or kind of get so myopic and in looking inside of that bubble and our job as creatives is to kind of help them look outside of that bubble and and really think about their customer and and their the consumer and and the users that use their product or service or brand or whatever and when you're doing research and learning about those people like you need to open yourself up to learning that you know this and like product design i would say like uh sometimes just through user testing and interviews and feedback you learn that people use your product in in unexpected and in and, and amazing ways and i actually saw like an interview I think the was it the Glitch co-founder and he was talking about like why he loved Glitch and just like all the cool, crazy shit that people make on on the platform and just unexpected kind of ways. And, you know, that's, that's kind of where my mind is, like strategically, when I think about user centric versus brand centric, you know, just like thinking about the user doesn't mean being boring. It, it's really thinking about the context of like and I always think about this and it sounds cynical. So, so stay with me here. I think about this in the context of, like, what value does this serve the user with? What value does this give the person whose product you want, the person that you want to use your product or, or brand or service? Like, if you're making like this cool, crazy idea, like, ultimately, how does this serve them? Because like, for people, like, when we're alone by ourselves using this in the, the comfort of our home, You know no one's watching us like we're selfish like you know like i want this to benefit me in some way and i don't want this to be some sort of like masturbatory kind of like thought experiment from a brand to try and win some awards because awards are cool but like at the end of the day it's not creative if it doesn't sell (laughs)
0: interesting thing about awards there was a while back on here i'd say maybe oh god i'm dating myself by saying about 100 episodes ago but it literally was about 100 episodes ago where i was talking about (laughs) awards and like black designers winning awards and what awards actually mean and it's so interesting now because the conversation around awards in the creative industry i mean this this episode will come out kind of during the i want to say like the end of the awards Season, mm. I think for creatives like and when I say creatives I'm in I'm lumping in music television film yeah. yeah kind of all into that and so many times we see work that is clearly chasing an award like yeah. like we've all seen a trailer and we're like oh they're trying to win an Oscar like we've yes. all we've all seen the the thing that's like you can tell they're trying to chase the clout that this particular Award can get. And I wonder often, like, one, what that is in service of. Like, yes, it's in service of the award, but just because you get the award doesn't necessarily mean that opens up a new level of understanding or what have you from that. But I'm just always interested in that because it's something that we want those awards to validate to other people that the work that we do is worthy. Yes. Yet everyone can't win an award.
1: So. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I'm going to go on a sidetrack in a little bit. But for just to speak on that, you know, I think talking internally, it's like that, that vicious cycle, right? And you know, you, you hear about specifically in the advertising industry, where that kind of desire to win awards kind of goes wrong, you know, and you hear about like, campaign fraud, that kind of stuff, you know, with companies and agencies or brands just putting out work and they're buying like a billboard for like one hour in the middle of the night to kind of say that it's published and to try and win awards. And, you know, it's a whole big controversy and you see cons trying to like crack down on it and other awards, that kind of thing. And you kind of ask yourself like, well, why is it that people are trying to do this? And I think ultimately it comes down to money, right? Like I think it comes down to and i don't necessarily i think it's shady don't get me wrong and it's not great but you think about why people enter award shows and i think ultimately it comes down to to new business at least from your thinking about a larger agency picture why agencies wouldn't enter into award shows it's about demonstrating to clients that we do work that gets noticed and we do work that is validated in the industry and like you know, work with us. I think that's at like a very simplistic kind of surface level, the reason why. And then when you get down to the individual level, right, I think it also just comes down to like, I want my work validated. I want people to know that I'm competent at my job. (laughs) You know, that being said,
0: it all boils down to validation.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think when you're talking about Oscar season and stuff like that, and I have to talk about this, man, but did you see the Irishman
0: I have not seen the Irishman. I've heard a lot of talk about it, particularly just its runtime, but I haven't
1: seen yes, it. oh my goodness, uh, oh my God, man I if there's ever a movie I felt like that was chasing something. it was like that like <laughs> yeah. you see the memes about it, man, just like people just like, yeah, it's five days in and I'm still having't finished that movie. I'm that guy, and to be frank, like. It's my fault. You know, frankly, I've the last two times I ate a Popeye's chicken sandwich, like right before I started watching that movie. And then I just kind of passed out and I woke up kind of <laughs> sweating in the middle. So that's kind of problematic. And then also, I just felt like it was a meandering plot. And then that that face aging technology that's supposed to be all amazing. I mean, Robert De Niro did not look like he was in his 20s. I'm sorry. It just looked like they just smoothed Robert De Niro's face. I mean, it looked better when he was in his middle age. They were kind of showing him middle age. But anyway, that's a rant. I could talk about that for a while, but we're not here to talk about Robert De Niro and his smooth face uh, (laughs) and and Irishman. But I just think about it seems disingenuous. I guess like when you see the ads, you see those ads come out and you see those ads. They're clearly like awards bait. You know, it just feels disingenuous and it doesn't feel like they made that creative for the actual end audience, they they made it to speak to the judges, right? They, they make stuff for the judges, not for the people. Yeah. And I say that, like, I'm not like some arbit- I I'm not the guy. I'm not some guy who's supposed to be, who has all the answers. So for anyone who's listening to this and they're thinking like, who's this guy? Like, I promise you, I don't have well, all I, the answers.
0: <laughs> I, I have to, I have to butt in here now. We're both members of the International Academy of Digital Arts and Sciences. Yes we are also both current Webby awards judges. Yeah. So we kind of we <laughs> operate, I guess a little bit on that level, but go ahead. Keep going. Keep going.
1: Yeah, no, you got me. You got me. <laughs> no. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, and the, Actually, I will, I don't want to call out a brand, but I, cause I don't know what agency did this, but I did something and I was just talking about it. So we had our holiday party last night and I made sure not to drink too much because I knew I had to do this today. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we were just talking about the Webbies and I think I need to actually get my judging entries done today at some point. But, you know, I was looking last year, I was looking at this one entry and, and it was for a popular bacon brand. I won't say who, but it was it was crazy to me, man, cuz like I looked at this and amazing technology. It was like some sort of like VR 3D website experience that you're kind of exploring is very like black and white and noir and very abstract. Yes, man. <laughs> I had no idea what was happening in this thing. Like, all I saw was at the beginning, because it was like a black label, bacon brand, whatever. And and I was looking at this, and people are probably going to infer what that is, but whatever. You know, I I was looking at this, and it was like, I'll say this, the execution was amazing. It was like, cool, but I, I just couldn't give it great marks because, well, one, I mean, from a navigation standpoint, I had no idea what I was supposed to be doing. And I was just like oh, exploring this world. And I had no idea. I even wrote in the notes, I have no idea what this has to do with bacon, but I guess this is kind of cool. And I was just thinking in my head, like, what, how did this creative director sell this? Because I want to talk to him and learn his secrets because this look, website looked at cost a million dollars to make and, and it had nothing to do with the brand whatsoever. <laughs> so that's kind of what I was thinking, like who I'm like, who are you making this for? Are you making this for the user? Are you making this for the brand? Are you making this for yourself? Like, what's the motivation behind that? And that's kind of where I was getting at, you know, I think, because I think, uh, to a certain extent, even, you know, judges have their limits, right? You know, you're just like, okay, like, what is this?
0: Yeah, I need to start looking into kind of what I'm gonna, I guess, submit as my picks, because I've been keeping track of a couple of campaigns and seeing what's what's new and what's interesting and what I feel like are interesting ways that people are using like the social media tools that are out here. Like I see how people, different people use Instagram and and Facebook and Twitter for different implementations. Cause I think it's one thing of course to use it as intended, but sort of like how you said earlier, people will use these tools in all kinds of different ways. So like who's using Instagram, not just to post pictures, but like to post mini magazines.
1: Yeah. did you see see the adult swim the rick and morty thing that was amazing Uh, no Um,
0: i didn't see that what was it
1: no they for their promo like i think this is like last year but they made like their own like rick and morty adventure experience so like you're like traveling so they made like a bunch of different instagram accounts that are linked to each other and like they're tagged to each other so you're like basically traveling to different planets and universes through these instagram so these instagram accounts it was like so meticulously well done and i'm like how much time did they take to do this because you're like looking at those instagram grids you know like for each of the profiles and you see like a galaxy and you can like zoom in to the planet and you can zoom out and go to different and i'm like man like this took a lot of time i don't know it's just like people taking mediums and using them in unconventional ways always just fascinates me
0: yeah i've been saying that a lot on youtube also this kind of almost choose-your-own-adventure style of, I don't want to call it videography. I don't know if that's really the best way to mm. to categorize it, but I'm thinking particularly about this show that I saw. It's called A Heist with Markiplier. So it like starts out with the intro video. Markiplier is trying to like break into a bank. And for those who don't know, Markiplier is a YouTube influencer guy, but he's trying to break into a bank. And then the video is short, maybe like 20, 30 seconds. And then you know how you can have annotations that will pop up on the screen so yes. that you can choose, okay, sort of very similar to how Netflix did the snatch episode yes. of Yeah. Black Mirror, but it's all done through YouTube videos. And so you select what the right path is and there's different endings. And I'm like, that is really an ingenious way to look at how to even do something like this, because at least with YouTube, you can sort of, unlist all the videos so then you can't really track what the right path is it's a really interesting way to use the platform but i think it also speaks to honestly the sort of disposability of these types of mediums the fact that you can spin something up that quickly and easily for just that purpose and it can also be gone just that quickly actually another interesting thing and this actually might be one of my webby picks so i might be spoiling this but um, (laughs) the same guy markiplier him and this other guy ethan who's a A YouTuber are doing this project called Unus Annus. Okay. Where I think it's Latin for one year. And so they're going to release a video on YouTube every day for a year. And then once the year is up, they'll delete everything. Wow. So they've gotten already over a million subscribers. They're selling merch, you know, doing all that sort of stuff. I'm interested to see what they are trying to get out of it, like Mm -hmm. what the end goal is. Because they're both already youtubers they already make videos so making more videos isn't the point i don't know if it's just a creative exercise they've sort of implied that it speaks to the ephemerality of life and and things like that i'm interested to see where they go with this because you can tell as you so i've watched all the videos because i'm a dork but like you can tell that there's (laughs) there's like an underlying slightly sinister theme that connects all the videos Okay. And I'm wondering if that will play out as the year plays out. Mm. I'm just interested to see where it goes from here. And it's like, it's those sorts of things that I really like seeing brands and and people kind of take the tools that are given to you and use them in a way that no one would have expected.
1: Yeah. You know, and you kind of touch on something interesting, like to be clear, I mean, I think there's, you know, when you think about user centric, I also think about like the using the medium as an art form. Right. So I, I think, uh, like as a creative exercise. So sometimes it's kind of like what separates visual communication and in and, and graphic design from like more fine art, right? Like, it's open the fine art aspect kind of being a little bit more open to interpretation. And it's really meant to more provoke a, a dialogue and discussion. And, and it's really all about the artists intentions and, and thinkings and, and the, the message they're trying to communicate and visual communication touches on some of those subjects, but ultimately the idea is to communicate a clear message that a large group of people can understand. And I don't know, you, you, you kind of touched on that. Like, uh, cause you know, sometimes Entertainment is just entertainment and we don't need to overthink it that much, but then there's times when you actually need to service a specific goal. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah.
0: So I want to go more into your design career, but first let's, let's take it back to the beginning. Like where did you grow up? Was design sort of like a big part of your your childhood and everything growing up?
1: Absolutely not. <laughs> 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 no, you know, I think, um, you know, it was just like growing up, it was me, my mom and my my brother and my uncles played a big influence on my life. Like two of my uncles were, you know, army dudes, like one army, one air force. I even think when in high school, they were trying to get me to sign up. Like when I was trying to figure out how am I going to pay for college? They were uh-huh. like, you know, air force is the way, no army is the way, Like you know, <laughs> I was like, I do not have the discipline for either. So I'm going to get a student loan. <laughs> You know, I think, you know, what actually started me down this whole path of creative exercise and graphic design is kindergarten. I think about this to this day. I love Garfield. Like Garfield basically got me to where I am today. If you want to sum it up, that's Garfield. You know, I love the cartoon Garfield. I was obsessed with it. You know, my mom, we didn't have a lot of money, but my mom would give me every for my birthday every year, I think until like maybe I was like a preteen or whatever <laughs> she would give me like a Garfield book every birthday. And I just was obsessed with it. I always try and draw Garfield cartoons and stuff like that. And then I got really into drawing. And then for the longest time, I swear to you, I wanted to be a comic book artist. I wanted to, I wanted to be like Jim Lee. I wanted to be like, was it George Perez? I think that's his name. Uh-huh. Jim Lee is the one that comes to the top of mind, you know, always cause I loved his style or Linnell Hugh. But like, you know, I, I think I'm really obsessed with comic books. I still love comic books. It's kind of a bad habit. I, I go through spurts of just buying like like a whole like crap ton of, of comics, like stacks of them. And I just spend too much money and my girlfriend makes fun of me for it. But it's fine, whatever. But, you know, I think for me, I just love that medium. I love the storytelling. I love the art, the visuals and and just kind of the message and just kind of the the art form of it. And you know, going through high school, I was in Houston. Uh, I grew up in Houston and Westfield High School, and then I transferred. I had like a, I would say like a, it was a Fresh Prince of Bel Air kind of moment, kind of situation. I didn't get into a fight at a basketball game, and I got transferred. down, but my family, we, uh, we, we got uh, help from a, a family member, and we moved out to the Woodlands, which is a more affluent area, and it was definitely like a different world, right? Like not a lot of black people up there <laughs> in more the uh, suburban area of Houston outside of Houston but you know good schools and that kind of thing and I actually got introduced I was in all the art classes and I actually got introduced to design from this teacher and uh, god forgive me I forgot her name but she in high school she showed It was like this. uh, It was like digital design class or electronic media class or something like that. And we go in there and we use MS DOS to like make animations. And I remember the first thing I ever did. Like we had an assignment to use Photoshop, and this is like old Photoshop, right? So we had to use this. um, What was it like? I had to Photoshop myself into a a picture. And of course, for some reason, I chose to Photoshop myself into a run DMC, like album cover. And I was obsessed with that uh, after that. And I was like, well, drawing's cool, but I like this too. And I kind of just went down the rabbit hole on that and just designing things. And And then like a person from SCAD came to the school to kind of talk about all the different programs. And of course, like the other thing I learned and the reason I didn't get into comic art, man, is... Drawing comics is friggin' hard. <laughs> if you don't know this, like I have a lot of respect for those guys because basically the the program was called like sequential art, which is basically just fancy for like comics, right? But like being able to like do character study and drawing the same person from different angles and like consistently, like that's very difficult apparently. <laughs> but they had another program called like the visual communication graphic design program and i was like what is that and i learned a little bit more about it i'm like this is really interesting because like i love computers i love the technology of it i love making things that people see and and, and interact with and i just had like a really awesome time with it so i decided to pursue that and I actually looked at a few schools in the uh, the DFW area. You know, I think University of North Texas is kind of like, I don't know if you know this, but University of North Texas is one of the top kind of design schools and at least the Southeast or whatever you want to call Texas central area, at least in Texas, it's kind of like the design school to go to, or at least has an amazing design program. And this is like a public university. And I went there and I just found the, the program to be not really what it, it didn't really seem like a right fit to me. So I went to, actually UTA and To day, He's still my mentor, but uh, Roby McEwen, he was like a professor in the design department at the time. And I remember he had a Hummer, a huge Hummer. He took me and my mom around the campus. And I'm like, to this day, I'm trying to think, like, why did he do that? (laughs) That's he I'm like, he took his time, drove us around the campus. He showed us like kind of the senior student work. And I'm like, I'm sold. Like, he's cool, dude. He looks like Santa Claus. If you ever meet him in person, he'll even joke about that himself. He's an awesome guy. He's the coolest guy ever and i learned so much from him over the years at that university and i owe a lot of what i am today to that guy cuz he he really took me under his wing and he really taught me about design about communication about like you know art versus design that kind of stuff and 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 that's kind of like my i would say like i went on a little tangent but you know that's kind of my journey from Kindergarten, like drawing Garfield and reading Garfield comics, to like going to college at University of Texas at Arlington and mm-hmm. and getting a visual design uh, BFA degree there, and and then getting my first job. Which how I got my first job was actually very lucky because I graduated in the middle of a recession.
0: <laughs> so yeah, it sounds like I mean that's kind of when you knew that you could do this for a living, I guess. At that point,
1: right when you yeah.
0: When you saw the campus and saw the the student projects and everything?
1: hmm Yeah. You know, my mom and, and, and bless her, like, you know, I think, and this kind of touches on a larger question. And I would love to hear your thoughts on this, but in terms of like, why we don't have more Black people <laughs> in the creative design industry, like, you know, I have my own kind of guesses, but, you know, I think, you know, it just comes down to like opportunity and thinking that, you know, if I'm going to go to college, I need to go to college to like, learn a, a skill that will really make me money, you know? And as a kid, look, I loved animals and my mom was thinking I was going to be on some like Dr. Doolittle stuff, right? Like I'll be a veterinarian. Like she's like, but don't she's like, cause I told her I wanted to be a comic book artist at first. And she was like, hi, ah, what? Yeah. She's like, well, you know, I think, uh, don't you, but you love our dog Hershey, right? And Like our dog's name is Hershey and our, uh, my childhood dog's name. She's like, you love Hershey. Like you love animals. You love, I'm like, yeah, I love animals, but I, I don't want to necessarily work with animals. Like, yeah. <laughs> and then I think, you know, she saw, and when I was talking to her about majoring in graphic design, you know, I didn't go to college, not knowing what I wanted to do. I knew what I wanted to do. And, you know, I was telling her like, graphic design program and she's looking at it and she was looking at how a graphic designer could make money. You know, it isn't like necessary a full on like art degree, although I have respect for those people too, for sure. But she saw that. And she said, Oh, okay. I, I'm okay with this. I'm, I'm okay with this. Yeah. You know, <laughs> once, she, once she could see it. Yeah. She's like,
0: okay, now I, I can get it. So to answer, I guess the, the question, I think that's part of the answer is that the lack of visibility is why we don't see more of us in the industry because mm-hmm. so it it's it's really a mix of things right so first of all it's complete economics like yeah in order to be really working in the in the creative industry you need to know these industry standard tools these tools are expensive mm-hmm. folks don't make a ton of money so it's like how right. are you going to get the money to get access to the tool and then the time to learn the tool to get good at it to then get jobs and then get in the industry. So it ends up being like this sort of a, this, this pipeline situation, you know, it's lack of resources, lack of professional training, you know, I would say even sometimes accurate information about the industry, Yeah. you know, getting into it. But also I think it's a matter of visibility Mm -hmm. as you stated before, like your parents didn't really see like, Oh, this isn't, this isn't something that I want you to do because I can't see you. Being successful or making money, or are making a yeah. living from it, you know, art ends up being treated as like a hobby and not a profession. And so oftentimes, that lack of visibility into seeing the ways that you can get paid from this yeah. is, is a reason that we're not in the industry, I think.
1: And I want to be very clear, my mother, Marsha, she does support me very much because she's going to listen to this episode <laughs> and I don't want her giving me grief. And I want my 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 grandma giving me grief about this. She's very supportive of me. She actually talks about me a lot to her co-workers. She features me on her timeline, which in my opinion is the biggest award of them all. So thank you, mom. I love you. This was very, um, I oh, obviously owe everything to her because I'm existing because of her. So just want to throw that out there. Thank you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah i think that's that's probably like a a big reason into it i mean that that's something i've discovered honestly from doing this show is that for a lot of folks they just weren't exposed to it mm-hmm. they didn't know that they could do this until much later on in life like after college after working a few jobs and they're like wait a minute i really like design and art and i can focus on this or yeah. i really like coding and i can focus on that you know that being a part of the creative mm-hmm. industry. It's like the exposure and the visibility to this ends up happening at a time where for us, I think it ends up being just much later in life Yeah. than with other, pl- with other places where the, the viability of that as a profession is a much earlier and easier sort of opportunity. I mean, as kids, we're all exposed to cartoons and drawing and art and paint mm-hmm. like, at the same time. That's part yeah. of, the, at least here in America, that's part of the American, like, primary school system. So how is it that there's this huge bifurcation of people of one particular race or culture that are over-indexed in the creative industry and then so many others that aren't? Like, like what happens? Where does that split happen? So,
1: yeah. Yeah, it's it's tough because like, yeah, to your point, I I just, man, you know, I, I didn't think it was like a thing that people, you know, you don't intellectually, you know, someone made that stuff, but you don't really think about it. And then- you get a little bit older, and then you just realize, like, yeah, I actually have Michael uh, Beirut's book on my desk right now, and I'm going through and it and it's just like, man, you, I, I I can't imagine doing anything else but this and I, and and I realized like I'm in a position of privilege that maybe people of uh, of the same race as me like are not in uh, the same. Or they don't see that opportunity because of socioeconomic factors, or the fact that there hasn't been exposure, or in terms of just education, the arts program, that kind of stuff. And then by the time, or or the fact that you know, thinking about how to uh, get into that, it, it might be too late. You know, I, I don't know. I I don't have all the answers on that. It, that's a that's a larger topic that I'm. I'm assured that you are definitely tackling at the AIGA level.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's one of those answers that just has, there's many layers to it. There's no yeah. simple answer to the question. There's just, there's so many layers as to, as to how that happens. So yeah. yeah. Now you said you graduated in the middle of recession, but you got your first kind of working design gig working for your school. You're working for university of Texas in Arlington.
1: What was that like? Working for UTA, it was exactly what you'd think it would be. (laughs) No, I mean, it was a great job, you know, I think in high school. And one of the things that I I did in high school as I worked for Kroger, uh, I was a sacker. All through high school, uh, as soon as I was old enough to get a job, my mom was like, you go into Kroger. (laughs) (laughs) Because Kroger was like one of the companies, a few companies that hired like 14 year olds. Like you have to like wear a special name badge to kind of indicate that your managers can't abuse you. (laughs) (laughs) No, but like, I mean, you can't work extra hours and stuff like that. But like I worked there and then I just remember thinking I learned how to deal with people and I guess that I still think about that I I'm not a I wasn't a waiter or a server I didn't work in the food service industry but I worked in a different thing that I, I dealt with people a lot of different types of people every day and working in that environment um one thing I did learn is like I definitely did not want to work at Kroger during college mm. <laughs> I wanted to try and do something that can help hone my skills and learn more about about the profession I wanted to get into and actually before that i think a little bit of overlap i actually worked at the Shorthorn, which is the uh, college newspaper and it's actually uh, actually a pretty big newspaper pretty award winning and i was like a uh, i was a page designer uh, layout artist and then i also did like illustration kind of cartoon editorial illustrations and stuff like that and Obviously, it is like a school job. So I think I got paid like 90 bucks like every two and a half weeks. Uh, That was not sustainable for me. (laughs) So that's why I looked at um, getting into the design program and I applied to different departments, but they are the ones who finally hired me. And really, I just managed like just vendor relationships and stuff like that and like making assets um helping student events uh, making all the graphics and displays for that i think my proudest moment was like i got to make a label for uh, a water bottle that they were handing out events like i don't know if that's kosher to say today you know necessarily making labels for water bottles and the plastic is choking our ocean or something like that but you know i think at the time i was like oh i got to make a little label for a water bottle that's cool yeah. but you know i think I just got experience with a lot of different types of mediums i got to work on web work i got to do email stuff i got to do website stuff i got to do like packaging and print stuff it was all just kind of like a, a generalist ex- initial exposure that being said i mean I was, a, I was a designer and i didn't really have any design mentors in that in that program i was just was like really working and getting mentorship and guidance from my actual design teachers and professors. And that when I mentioned Roby McEwen, which he's awesome dude, you know, so I was learning that along the way, but like I was working in a corporate, like little office environment. I was like in a cubicle, like way in the back. It was almost like a closet. I shared a dude who smelled like pancakes. I shared an office with you, smell like pancakes. It was really weird. <laughs> that was like definitely in my first like foray into like professional design and learning, about my design, how my design decisions um, affect other people, you know?
0: So I'm going to show you a photo. Okay. And I want you to first describe this photo to the audience. And then I want you to tell me the story behind it and the feedback. So I'm going to show you the photo now. If you want to okay. take a look at it?
1: Okay. Oh, boy. Yeah. So... This photo is a, I'm wearing my Bob's burger t-shirt. I am clean shaven for the most part. I didn't have my beard yet, but it's like a me of my feature in net magazine. This is like back in 2017, I believe. Yeah. So I'm, I'm holding the uh, just the cover art for the uh, the article, the featured article, diversity in design. So it's an article I wrote talking about how to be more inclusive in your design and UX and visual design kind of overall uh, experience for people, audiences, users, that kind of stuff. And I'm in my agency's office and I actually had my coworker. Uh, Ale, uh, short for Alejandra, she actually took a photo of me. She's one of the art directors on my team. She took a photo of me, and she actually forced me to do like this whole photo shoot. This was like one of like fifty photos at different angles. You could actually, in one of the other photos, there's actually a scene of like one of our junior art directors at the time. She's like way in the background, and she's kind of rolling her eyes, and she's just like very fuzzy. <laughs> and we still make we make fun of that to this day. But yeah, that was like a really proud moment of me. I have like. I bought like 10 issues. I sent a couple to my mom cause she requested them, <laughs> but yeah, that was like a really proud moment for me.
0: Nice. What was sort of the, I guess the feedback behind it, um, I, as I'm looking at the image and I'll make sure to include this in the show notes so people can take a look at it too, but it says diversify your design five steps to diversify your UX design.
1: Yeah do you mean like feedback in terms of like what people were saying about it or like what I was about
0: the article and everything? Yeah.
1: Overall, I had a lot of positive feedback. Like I think the thing was just like people, you know, you hear a lot of, People get on their soapbox talking about diversity is important. Diversity is important. And, you know, for me, I've always been a very practical person, like in terms of how I approach things, in terms of how I approach things in my professional and personal life. Like, if you know me in in real life, like, you know, if someone were to ask me, hey, we're going to go out to this lunch spot, uh, you want to go? And my first question, they know this is like, what's the parking situation? Because if the parking situation ain't good. I'll see y'all later. (laughs) I just like, I have to think about that. Like, but like in this context, like for diversifying your design for me, I wanted to do something that was very practical. Like, okay, yeah, I, I need to be more diverse in how I'm thinking about approaching my, my work. My creative work, but how do I actually do that? Like what's some simple initial steps that I could do? And like I said, I don't promise to be the guy who has all the answers, but I just thought this is actually kind of a therapeutic piece for me to do, you know, because like actually it was funny because how I got into doing that article was I reached out to Net Mag and I was like saying hey I did my black in history tumblr site and for people who don't know the black history thing I did like a black in history tumblr which it's still up it's still live blackinhistory.tumblr.com and it was basically about like just game changers figures that have affected everyone's lives not just black people's lives and we just they've fallen through the cracks so I just think about an entry that kind of uniquely talks about this person and i put that to them and they're like man this is great like uh, we're going to feature this as a side project of the month and i'm like oh that's great and they're like also hey our issues on diversity so maybe if you can like write a feature about that you have like two weeks and i'm like oh (laughs) okay (laughs) i'm like i'm definitely not turning it down but I got advice from my fellow copywriter uh, colleagues and just like friends. And I interviewed coworkers and colleagues, my bosses to kind of get a really holistic view. Cause like, you know, I definitely wanted not only to talk about diversity, but have a little bit of diversity in the thought and opinions about how to approach that from. So like, I have like five different steps. So it's like the first one, just understanding that it's the right thing to do. I think, you know, a lot of people, call it PC culture. And I don't think it's PC culture to um, think holistically about your audience. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's opening your mind uh, up to the fact that not everyone who uses your product or using the, uses that brand looks exactly like you or lives exactly like you, you know? And then I think it's just stop being lazy. I think as designers, we, especially when you're in the grind, the daily grind of things and stuff like that, like it's easy to kind of get caught up and just kind of go to your go-to sources, that kind of stuff. So just like learning to kind of like actually force yourself to to take a step back and think about what am I doing? Am I representing this product the right way is this the actual thing i need to show or the say or to write etc and then just the other ways to do it through visuals so kind of advice around photo shoots video that kind of stuff during through copywriting so being using inclusive language and and strategy around that and then ux obviously there's a lot of talk lately around accessibility and then just overall like thinking around inclusion in your user experience design. And I think that's been a big conversation these last few years around that. And then just the last thing, selling it to clients, which is like sometimes actually surprisingly, well, actually maybe not surprisingly (laughs) kind of difficult to do, especially if they think it's uh, counterintuitive to like maybe what they think their audience is or their own envisioning of their goals for the brand.
0: What do you think is like the most important skill that? a designer needs to possess these days?
1: God, man, you know, I think it's a combination of two things. I would say first and foremost, you know, it's cliche answer, but empathy, but to kind of get specifically around this, because like I had actually a designer reach out to me and ask me like, what's an important skill set? And I actually told them this, like uh, this guy, I said, the most important thing you could have is self-awareness, actually. Like just, you know, I think self-awareness is obviously the first step in making some good decisions. You know, I think being self-aware of your position of who you are as a person and how people perceive you, how you present things, how you talk about things, your creative design decisions. I think you kind of take a step back and you objectively look at yourself and like you, you kind of learn about maybe you have some unconscious biases. And I think that's kind of where the empathy and the self-awareness kind of combine to each other. But I think it's really more of a, a soft skill, I would say, but it also lends itself into actual creative skill, in my opinion, too.
0: Now you mentioned the black in history on top, but It's actually when we first talked seven years ago. I think you had just started that project, or or it had been out for a little, a little while. I don't recall, but I know that that was a project that you ended up getting a a good bit of acclaim from. I think you even got a Webby, like not an award, but you got a Webby sort of
1: honoree. Intention. Yeah, honoree.
0: That's the word I'm looking for. A webby honoree. Yeah for that is there another like
1: dream project that you would love to do i think about this a lot like you know i think for that it was just like something that kind of came up like you and my family like to joke about that uh every time during the the holiday seasons or during some sort of special season event, like you see all the brands kind of like put out some R&B music and show black people doing stuff with their products. (laughs) (laughs) And I just got me thinking like, man, in or like Black History Month, right, just where it just kind of becomes so myopically focused on just a few key characters. And it kind of turned into that, you know, for me, I I don't know, I'm still exploring that, to be honest, like, there's a lot of things I'd like to approach in a dream project for me. I, I and maybe if people see my Instagram, you'll know this about I me. Mean, I I love food. <laughs> I love everything about that. I love making food more accessible to people. You know, I think uh, for me that's kind of a dream project for me to work on. Another thing, and I've been getting more and more into this. I've been exploring it, but I love games. I love video games, which sounds like. Typical nerdy black guy thing to say. But I love video games and I, I would love the idea of working on an interactive experience, gaming interactive experience, maybe using pixel art. I don't know. I've been getting into pixel art lately, as you might know. And actually, what got me thinking about that is I saw something, I think it was on A Awards or I can't remember, but it was this guy who did like this kind of interactive side scroller pixel art game about is Tokyo. Or is Japan cool? And he kind of gave this history of Japan. And I think it's like talking about Nintendo and that kind of stuff. And it's this interesting interactive side-scrolling experience. I can't remember the name of it. It's killing me. But I don't know. It just got me thinking, what a cool educational way to talk about something and make it engaging, too. And I don't know. I I like the idea of making an interactive game and and getting deeper into that. I'm not a developer myself, at least not first and foremost. I know enough development to be very dangerous. That would be something for me to explore, getting more into deeper into the interactive space.
0: What is it that inspires you these days? How do you keep that that
1: creative spark going? For me, it's just like I learned a long time ago that you know not to get invested in my work so much that uh, my identity is wrapped up in my job. Because I think once you start doing that. It's easy to get burnt out or get depressed about like certain things or not that I'm saying you shouldn't get any fulfillment out of your job. But I think it's really important for you to try and discover personal interests outside of that, you know, and for me, I what inspires me and it sounds once again, like simple, but I just like going on the Internet and just looking at cool shit. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> I, I like looking at sidebar. I like it, look, all the inspiration blogs, but then I just also kind of like think about what are ways for me to explore something and like take it back into my my work at the office. You know, I like to explore different technologies. I like to do things, but like you know, in my personal. Life. What actually inspires me is I, I love to read, actually. I, I love reading science fiction. I love reading novels. I'm actually in a book club. It's so, I'm in a book club and people are going to be like, okay, that's all right. Wow, that's fancy. That's way like." No, we, we meet at a bar and we, we talk about our book. We're half in the bag before we actually start talking about the book. But, you know, I think for me, it's just kind of helped me expose myself out. And, you know, the... The designer was his name, Tobias Van Schneider, I think, you know, the guy behind simplest and he's the guy at Spotify. I remember him saying like how he gets his inspiration from people outside of the industry and how little he talks to people in the design industry. I mean, I don't know if I go that far, but like, you know, I think it is useful to kind of live outside your bubble and just like, you know, sometimes like taking a step away from the screen. And I'm very technology focused. I'm not saying like put down your phones. Like uh, I'm saying, just like find things that you enjoy and have fun with. And I think you can learn how to connect those things together. For instance, I, I did a thing like a few years ago. And it's one of my actually things in my case studies. But like I did this thing called We Lunch in Bro, which is like just a in a ho- office term of just like where yeah we like where where are we going for lunch man like what are we doing like mm-hmm. my old creative director he he made this word document of just like, you know, lunches or like lunch spots or restaurants in the area, that kind of thing. And, you know, I thought, okay, this is this is interesting. So how can I take that and make something a little bit more accessible and interactive for people to kind of help make better decisions during lunch? And I, I kind of did that on my own time for the office and I made it a thing. I made it a like little mobile website and, you know, it was kind of fun to, to kind of do that. But I, it's just like one of those things where I'm taking something from another part of my life and, and kind of seeing how can I apply my own personal skill sets to kind of enhance the experience for me? So like, that's, that's kind of where I come from. Like, how do I find inspiration? I kind of just, I have my passions and interests and hobbies. And I kind of think about how can I inject that into like my own kind of creative mind a little bit, you know?
0: So what does success look like for you at this point in your career?
1: Success? You know, I think success looks like I'm working on stuff I want to work on. (laughs) I think success for me is, I think, having good synergy with your team. I think for me, I think it's about, man, that's a tough question. Like, I mean, success, I'm still trying to figure that out myself. But like, I, I would say I love where I'm at right now in terms of my team. I think success is like me continuing to learn. And I think this is one of the things I tell people on my team all the time, which is like, especially in our industry, in our field, like interactive work, you always have to be learning. You always have to stay on top of things. And I just have that passion around like, just making sure that I am moving ahead and success to me looks like I always have something on the horizon. You know, I always am looking forward to the future. I'm always like, I have something that is fulfilling uh, my creative passions and and desires. And, you know, people might recognize that maybe they don't, I would guess success would be that people do recognize it, I guess, maybe formally or informally or whatever. But for me, and I think this is a long time ago, I said this, like, for me, success is like, me making something that people get a use or enjoy out of like, you know, like, whether that be functionally, whether that's an app or product or tool, like making products that outlive uh, me would be great. But obviously, as we talked about, sometimes, especially interactive design can be ephemeral and doesn't last forever. But I think making things that serve a purpose or function, and I want to kind of make things that or make experiences that people enjoy. And, and yeah, that's where I would leave it at. You know, I think just just getting some sort of satisfaction out of of people utilizing whatever i make to serve their goals or needs.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it's 2020. It's it's like the future now, which is yeah. it's so wild to think <laughs> about, but like where do you see yourself in the next 5 years in 2025? What will Alex Pierce be working on? Or what do you want to be working on?
1: Maybe I'm designing a website for the first hoverboard. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You know right now i'm currently an associate creative director and i love where i'm at right now i love the mentorship and guidance as well as still being hands-on i think five years now i think i'm still doing both those things maybe at a higher scale hopefully at a a higher scale or, or larger level i think my goals are just continuing to just do cool work just remember that for me like we're so lucky to kind of do the work that we do you know a lot of people for them, you you kind of want to make sure that I want to be clear about this. Like a lot of people, like their job is not like their career or their, their, their first passion. Like sometimes a job is just a job and like everything outside of that, that's what they, they, they go to work to earn money, to, to, to live their life. And, you know, that's perfectly fine. And that's, that's great. And for me, like, we're lucky because we we get to take our passions and our our creative thinking and we go to work and we get to express that. Like, you know, I, and I used to joke like, you know, not a lot of people can go to work and their job is to kind of like just dick around on the internet, you know? Like <laughs> uh, like my brother, he's like a super genius, my brother. He's like he has like three degrees and he's like a VP over at like he's actually in Atlanta, actually. Um he's a VP over at City. And he's like a math genius, a math nerd, a math whiz. He was a math lead in high school. Oh, hey, congrats! <laughs> <laughs> you know, for him, he he's he he tried to explain to me his job once, and I, I I it just kind of flew over my head. You know, I'm I got a lot of good grades in college, but like math was not one of those classes I got great grades in. Unlike you, which you're apparently a, a creative genius and a math genius. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, let's not, let's not go that far. But no, go ahead.
1: I'm just grateful for working on stuff that, you know, a lot of people uh, and I, I want to make sure that people don't take that for granted, especially if there's like a takeaway from this is that, you know, don't take what you're doing. so seriously. Some people like oh, we're doing work that's going to change the world or, you know, yeah, I mean, there's certain design does have a very important impact on people's lives. And I think that's one of my goals to have. My design work impact people's lives in a positive and meaningful, impactful way. But you know, I think at the same time, sometimes you just want to make people smile, you know? Sometimes you want to just entertain people. Sometimes you're just wanting to have fun. And I kind of did that's kind of what I did with my portfolio site. That was kind of the goal. It's not for everybody, but like I, I made something that, you know, and I remember one comment from a designer on Twitter. He was just like, Thank you for making personal sites fun again. And, and, you know, granted, um, there's certain flaws with the site, I think, from an overall, like, maybe architecture standpoint, but like, you know, I think the goal for me was just to kind of experiment and have fun and, and just do cool stuff. And I want to keep be able to do that. And I think, you know, I think that's something I want people to remember, just like, we're really lucky, just have fun, don't take yourself so seriously. And,
0: So just to kind of wrap things up here, Alex, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online?
1: They can go to my personal site, thegeekdesigner.com. I'm on Instagram quite a bit. It's at Alex Jamal Pierce, all together, lowercase, obviously. And then I am also on Pinterest, strangely enough. So if you want to see some random recipes that I like, go on Pinterest. You're going to say, I think it's Alex Jamal Pierce. Pinterest, something like that. If you see a guy, a black guy's face and I have glasses and a beard, it's probably me. So, yeah. then I also still have my Black in History uh, Tumblr up and going. It's been a little lapsed since I put in entries in. (laughs) So I need to get back into the flow of things for that. But if you want to check that out, there's that too. But otherwise, I'll be at home trying to finish The Irishman. Pray for me (laughs) uh, on that. I probably won't. I'm probably going to watch that Six Underground movie that just dropped by Michael Bay. So
0: in the wild how we can binge watch a whole series of a show, but then like a three and a half hour movie is too long.
1: Yeah, man. You know, I was the main <laughs> one in that Avengers Endgame movie. So I can sit through a long movie, but yeah. you gotta give me something, man. You gotta give me something.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, Alex Pierce, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I mean, well, first I think thank you for I guess I should say coming back on revision path like yeah. you before you've been on here before seven years ago, which is wild to think I've been doing this now for seven years. My God.
1: <laughs> <That's> <laughs> but that's I think, I'm glad to be an OG. OG
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's been good to see not only your, your, your growth as a designer and really your growth in your career, but also to see how you uniquely approach projects. Like as you were talking about brand centric design and user centric design, you know, I think it's that level of intelligence about the field and about the work that more people need to see. I think just from us in general, yeah. hopefully that will inspire more people to want to get involved, you know, even in some small way, you know, like you said before, you want people to not take themselves so seriously, but I think it's important to show that there are folks that are in this industry that, you know, can bring that level of play to their work, but Mm -hmm. also be very like serious and smart about it too. So, Thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you. I'm glad to be back.
0: Big, big thanks to Alex Pierce. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Alex and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. And of course, thanks to our sponsors, Facebook Design and Abstract. Facebook Design, of course, is a proud sponsor of Revision Path. To learn more about how the Facebook design community is designing for human needs at unprecedented scale, please visit facebook.design. This episode is also brought to you by Abstract, design workflow management for modern design teams. Spend less time searching for design files and tracking down feedback, and spend more time focusing on innovation and collaboration. Like a glitch, but for designers, Abstract is your team's version control source of truth for design work. With Abstract, you can version sketch design files, present work, request reviews, collect feedback, and give developers direct access to all specs, all from one place. Sign your team up for a free 14-day trial today by heading over to www.abstract.com. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. Looking for some creative consulting for your next project? Then let's do Lunch! Visit us at yepitslunch.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by RJ Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. Our transcripts are provided by Glitch. So what did you think of this episode? Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram, or even better... By leaving us a rating and a review on apple podcasts i'll even read your review right here on the show as always thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time